All right, we're in our imprecatory psalms, and we're in Psalm 59. We were in Psalm 58 last week, Psalm 59, and we have here again a psalm of David when Saul was chasing after him and and hounding him and seeking to kill him, Uh, and that's the context of the background of this psalm, Uh, and it is uh, a psalm of deliverance and a psalm of judgment. And that's really the two kind of headings that you could break this psalm into as far as the Lord who is the deliverer and the Lord who is the judge. And it is a song, but it is also a prayer. And we're going to read down through, well, we'll just read through the first 10 verses, and we're going to get to the probably the next verses as well, but uh, I want to just cover this at least tonight. And the title here is The Assured Judgment of the Wicked. Uh, to the chief musician set to do not destroy a victim of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So you see the backdrop, right? They're waiting to pounce on David. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life, the, the mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold. You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return, they growl like a dog. And go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Father, thank you again for your word. And Lord, as we come to it tonight, our hearts, uh, we we pray you'd prepare our hearts, certainly tune our hearts to you, O God. And may we also call in times of need. We know you are the God of mercy and the God of grace and the God of judgment also. And Lord, we thank you for the refuge we find in you. And we claim that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, uh, this psalm uh, comes right out of the time of David when he was hiding from Saul and not necessarily hiding in the, in the caves at this point or in the wilderness, uh, but he was on the run and Saul had his men out and he was seeking to destroy David, mostly out of jealousy and I believe As we know, an evil spirit had visited Saul at uh, this time, and he was really, uh, just the word would be hell-bent on destruction, and he was doing that, and chasing after God's anointed king, which was David. And 1 Samuel chapter 19 talks about this, and uh, we'll read a few verses here, and this gets you sort of the backdrop of this. It says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And I might just say, thank the Lord for men like Jonathan, right? Peacemakers. 
So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant. And that's how Jonathan saw that. I think that really speaks a lot about Jonathan, that he was willing to actually confront his father on his father's sin. Against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. And so David fled and escaped that night. Now you picture that, you know, poor David, he thinks things are good. Oh no, they're right back there. Saul had this distressing spirit. It was really probably his own spirit worked up within him that thought of doing evil. He wanted David out of the way because people were making much about David and not about Saul. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Now that's most likely the context that Psalm 59 comes out of when it says like dogs, they growl at night and they're out there roaming around. Well, These are those that David likens to dogs, like stray dogs who are out there and they're just seeking their next meal and they're howling in the night. And and it says, uh, and Michelle, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michelle let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Michelle took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michelle, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michelle answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? And so David fled and escaped and he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. And again, we find here the the picture of, of what's going on. David just gets out of there by the skin of his teeth and and his wife uh, Michelle there has to go and let him out of a window and down from a window and all that. I, I find that uh, an irony in that because you remember in Acts 9 it is where Saul of Tarsus 
is let down out of a window to escape. A man named Saul, most likely named after the Benjamite king, Saul. Um, and yet, uh, it really, it was the count of David that escaped that even later that Saul would be living. Uh, because, again, out of David and the nation, um, well, uh, you know, would be blessed and so the Messiah would come from that. But anyways, that's another story. I just, there's a connection there. I, I just kind of was thinking about that. But anyways, we find, again, the description in Psalm 59.6. At evening, they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. And that's the picture of these uh, henchmen that Saul has to go and to find David and it's a good thing that David's wife um, is able to hide him and be able to, you know, dupe them for a while anyways. And some have said, well, that does, was that a lack of faith in that? No, not at all. And indeed, it was them um, doing what they could do and trusting God for his part as well. And I think that's part of it. Anyways, this psalm is uh, set up as God the Deliverer. That's verses 1 to 9. And then the second part of verses 10 down to 17 is God the judge. And I want to look at that first section in detail. And the first thing we find here is uh, the God the deliverer. And it's this, that the Lord hears our prayers. Now, I know that's a sort of a statement we all should be accustomed to. Certainly the Lord hears our prayers. But David reaffirms that. And I think it's important that we ourselves are constantly reminded that God hears us. And he wants to. He delights in hearing us. But he wants us to pour our hearts out to him. Verse 1 there of Psalm 59, he says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. And he's saying that to the Lord. Today people use that phrase as sort of just a flippant thing to say. When they say, O my God, and they don't mean it. But David meant it, and it's proper to say that when you need to call upon the Lord. And he says, defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. That's a very specific prayer. Uh, I think if you ask God for specific ways to deliver, um, when he delivers us, we can praise him specifically for those things as well. And there's certainly that aspect of evil that is out there. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and he says, deliver us from evil. That is a part of our prayer that we ought to be praying. But here, David knew that this indeed was a bad situation and that Saul had his men out there in the city. They were, Jonathan had told him, they're going to kill you tonight. They're going to try to kill you tonight. And yet, David knew that somehow he was going to be the next king. And again, there's an aspect of trust in the Lord, but also working to prepare for that time as well. There was a contingency plan, an escape, and they were able to do that. This sounds very similar to other Psalms of David where he prays for deliverance. And some of the greater ones, when you, um, uh, for instance, Psalm 18.2, I like this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. That word high tower is that same word in verse 1, defend me. It's the same root. He is our defense and our high place where we go to be defended. Psalm 20, verse 1. 
May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. There it is again, that word. Psalm 46, 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, our high place, our defense. That's who he is. I, I love that. Here's another one. Psalm 91, 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. In that phrase, I will set him on high. Same uh, phrase that, Lord, defend me. You are my high tower, my place of refuge, all of that. And by the way, Psalm 91 is a messianic psalm. It's referring not only to the, uh, uh, the immediate, but also it's uh, prophetic in that it, it, it is about the Messiah. And indeed, the Lord defends his own, his Christ, right? <clears throat> well, again, we see a plan set in motion according there to 1 Samuel 19. Um, they fake it that David is sleeping in a bed and, and they get everybody fooled. And when Saul says, bring me him in the bed, <laughs> well, guess what? It was, a, it was a dummy in the bed, all right? It wasn't real. And they had fooled Saul for a moment. And I imagine that made Saul even more uh, angry about that. And I think, again, that shows that they were uh, doing their part in the f- aspect of trusting God, but then also a faith that had works to it as well. It's not just kind of throwing our hands up and saying, well, God, deliver me. And then we don't do anything to secure that deliverance, right? Um, Certainly there are times we can't do anything, and you can still pray that, and God can still deliver. But I really do believe that God also wants us prepared against evil, for example. That's the context of this. And I I do see that more and more in the world I'm in. We live in a very evil world, and we should not let that overtake us, right? We should be aware of those things and have those kind of, that mindset of preparation and contingency and escape if necessary or fight if necessary. Uh, There are times David had to do that, right? And we see that. Anyways, we hear, we have the Lord hears our prayers. That's verses one and two. And secondly, the Lord knows our hearts, And David just reaffirms that. He says, For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. And he says, Not for my transgressions, nor for my sin, O Lord. Now, it doesn't do much good to try to fool the Lord, right? David is praying, and he says, Basically, these are after me, and it's not because I've sinned. He was right with God. And there are times that people are right with God. It's not for their own sin. And yet, still, there's people out there plotting to do evil against them. And that was David's case. And as I said, it would be futile to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I have no sin, when the Lord sees right through us. He knows if we have sin. And it wasn't that Dave was cl- David was claiming that he was uh, totally sinless in that. But his transgressions had not been the cause of this whole thing. Matter of fact, he had done everything in his power to keep the peace. And he had gone and, as Jonathan said, put his very own life on the line for Saul and for Israel and had done that. That's the kind of man you want around. You want a David. Look what it says in verse 4. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. And, you know, I, I do see that, that 
there are times where you will have Satan, our enemy Satan, and, and the world system, which includes people that are out there plotting to do harm to believers. The world is filled with that kind of history. And it's going on even today. We know that that lines up with 1 Samuel 20 when it says, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah. He was there with, uh, with Samuel the prophet. And went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? See, David is just flabbergasted. Like, why is this man seeking to kill me? I've done nothing. There's no cause. And Jonathan testifies of David to his father that he sought innocent blood. And again, you see that. 1 Samuel 24, verse 11. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now uh, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Remember that story, right? David is watching the, his, those that are hunting him, and he's from a distance, and he sees where Saul lies down for bed. And David sneaks into the camp at night, and he cuts a piece of Saul's robe off. And David felt bad about even doing that. And he goes back and shows Saul that I was that close to you, and I had a knife in my hand. And you know what he was saying is, I could have taken your life. And he would have been the next king, just like that. I don't think there were a lot of fans of Saul, you know. Because that's the way a lot of those worldly kingdoms went, right? Sometimes back and forth. But that wasn't just any old worldly kingdom. God was going to do it his way, and David was going to do it God's way. And David showed Saul that he didn't have evil intentions. If he did, he would have killed him. Verse 4. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Now, interesting phrase there, because he says they run and prepare. It is, the, it is the same as in previous Psalms we looked at with David, where he says they plot. Uh, but do you realize that our enemy, and our enemy ultimately is Satan, but he obviously, in that world system that is so moved by him, there are people also that sit and plot and prepare to work evil that's why i say christians believers ought always to be preparing also in defense right and preparing ourselves for um for those times of trial that come david uses an interesting phrase next he says awake to help me and behold awake to help me and look i think david was He's pouring his heart out to God, and it's interesting. He he says, "Wake up, God." Whoa, I know that almost sounds like could David be sinning against God by saying, "Lord, you're sleeping." But have you ever had those frustrating times where you've just sensed that it's just like, why is the Lord not taking care of this now on my timetable? And he doesn't do it on our timetable. He does it on his. And he's still God. And God does not sleep. He does not slumber. Like we sleep and slumber. Very similar in Mark 4. The account of the disciples in the boat. Remember? 
On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Jesus asleep in the storm. You can see these frustrated disciples. They've been trying just to get to the other side. The boat's filling with water. Not a good situation. And Jesus is asleep. And I said God doesn't sleep. But you know God in the flesh had to sleep. And he knows what it's like to be so tired. That you can sleep while your bed's floating. Okay. And water's coming up around you. Look what it says. And they awoke him and said to him. Teacher do you not care that we are perishing? Sounds very similar to what David said. Awake, God, where are you? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the disciples. No, that's what happens if you wake me up in a dead sleep. I'll say, hey, why'd you wake me up? But not Jesus. See, the disciples were going to learn a lesson. Jesus, who was asleep in the boat, was not out of control of things right god was still in very much in control of everything that was going on then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea peace be still peace be still and look what it says the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them why are you so fearful he took time to teach them and they were they were afraid (laughs) david was afraid Times I'm afraid. I know you've been afraid. Their fears are natural, and, uh, and there, are, there, there are these fears that are sometimes built right into us, right? Some are good kinds of fears, but then sometimes our fear, our fear becomes a motive really to sin, where we are driven by our fears and not faith. And there's a balance in that. How is it that you have no faith, he says? And their faith was lacking. There was no doubt. But look what it says. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another. Now the fear now is a different kind of fear. They're not afraid of the water. That's still. Now they're afraid of this one in in an awestruck manner who has the ability to control nature. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see disciples we think oh they were with jesus they they watched they had that great miracle and the multitude just previous to that and now they're in this boat and you'd think they would just know all that but they weren't they're in grade school still i'm right there with them (laughs) these days i think i should know better i've been teaching out of this book for three decades and i should know better right and then i find myself things get a little contrary and i'm afraid of it And then God says, oh yeah, peace be still. And he puts the right fear in our hearts. They awe for him. Who is this one? The Lord knows our hearts. And in that he knows our fears. He knows our sin. He knows what we really are. Third thing there, point C. The Lord sees our enemies. He says, awake. (laughs) Awake, God. Right? Verse 5, you therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. 
Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And then you have that pause, Selah, which just means think about it. Stop. Meditate. David names God and calls on God by name. He says, Lord God, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant name for God. And he says specifically, God of hosts, or Lord Sabaoth, right? The Lord of heavenly hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He says, awake, O Lord of armies. You know, God sees our enemies. And God is not surprised when our enemies come at us. And I have a feeling, not just a feeling, I I think it's from scripture and from also anecdotes of history and other things. There are many times where God protects his own in a divine and a special supernatural way. And if he could peel back heaven for a moment for our eyes to see, we would see heavenly hosts that are there waging that warfare for us on behalf of us. The Bible talks about angels as ministering spirits sent onto those who are the heirs of salvation. Some have asked, do we have a guardian angel? Well, the term guardian angel doesn't necessarily um, come out of scripture per se, although we do know of instances in scripture where um, angels were very much involved in protecting and delivering and bringing judgment and those kind of things. We, we know, like, for instance, Michael the archangel. Uh, he seems to be closely associated with the nation of Israel. Um, and we, we see that in Scripture in the book of Daniel. We see it in the, in the body of Moses later on. Uh, it was, there was a fight that was going on over the body of Moses, according to what Jude says. Um, you know, those are named angels. But I do believe that there are angelic hosts of the Lord that are there ministering on our behalf even now, and we may not even see them. Maybe sometimes people do. There are certain accounts. I think of John Patton. He was a missionary from Scotland. Uh, He brought the gospel. Not only he, but, but several missionaries went to New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And when John Patton and his wife Mary arrived there in November of 1858, the place where they uh, built their mission station or their little hut at that point, um, it was right in the middle of tribal territory, and these were cannibals. They, they, they were known to eat people they didn't like, okay? Um, that's not something you just want to say, hey, I'm moving to New Hebrides and we're going to live among cannibals, but that's what they chose to do wasn't easy they moved there i think it was around november 5th of 1858 and on february 12th they had their first child born three months later right and um 19 days after that child was born mary died of a fever and then 36 days later the child died And John Patton spent much of the next weeks and months sleeping on the grave of his wife and child. At night he would sleep there so that the natives would not come and take the bodies and eat them. Wow. He would later remarry 
a man named Margaret, or a man, I mean, a woman, sorry. Boy, that was a slip. A woman named Mary. Clear that up, delete that. I didn't mean. Oh, where that came from? Came from? I was thinking too far ahead. Um, a woman named Margaret and uh, Maggie. She went by, and later when they went back to New Hebrides, they were in a different location, and they were in an area where they were seeking to reach this tribe that was there. Again, cannibals, and they were hostile. Had killed several. Um, Englishmen and others that had ended up there for trade and all that stuff. So that's where they're living. One night, a group of warriors came down to their little hut and surrounded them. And they were there. They were absolutely sure they were there to finally kill them and probably cannibalize them. And John and his wife, Mary, uh, Margaret, went to prayer and they prayed all night. As the sun came up, they looked out, and these hundreds of tribal warriors were leaving. They were going back into the jungles. But a month later, the chief of that tribe was converted to Christianity. Later, as John Patton was talking to him, he said, You remember that time where you and all your warriors were around our house? He said, Why didn't you just burn us to the ground and kill us? And the chief said, we wanted to, but you had hundreds of men there with you. And John Patton asked him about that, and he said, yes, you had hundreds of men. They were in shining garments, and they had a sword drawn. Where'd they come from? (laughs) Sounds kind of hokey, doesn't it? Wow. He was a Presbyterian. I don't think they get into that stuff like that. No. Listen. God has a heavenly host. He's the Lord Sabaoth. He can reveal that to someone and put the run to him if he, if he wanted to. I think sometimes cannibalistic tribesmen in pagan parts of the world, which is right here in our world, see far more of God than sometimes his own. Similar account with Elisha, remember... King Assyria is gathered against Israel, going to be a bad time. 2 Kings chapter 6. Look what it happens here. It says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I mean, it's a bad situation. At the time, the most powerful army in that region is now surrounding your city. And you know what that is going to lead to. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. That's his servant. Open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Great deliverance. He wasn't alone. Elisha knew he wasn't alone. 
They were more with him and more with Israel than with the Syrians. He goes on to say, at evening they return, they growl like a dog, and they go all around the city. Again, picturing sort of those kind of stray packs of dogs that they're, they're just out there looking for something they can tear into. He goes on to say, indeed, they belch with their mouth. That, that's really a, uh, it is, it's, it's gross, but what comes out of their mouth is, um, and, and the word that is used, it means to belch forth, to gush, to ferment. You can imagine, you know, having a gas that comes out of your mouth. That's kind of the picture there. But it's, in this case, something noxious. It's not just indigestion. <laughs> what they want to do is kill. And the imagery there is, is very powerful. The Lord sees our enemies. And then the next point here is the Lord defends our causes, or our cause. He defends us. Sometimes we think he's not doing a very good job of defending us, but he is. He's defending us. And he, he reminds that, or David reminds us of that. But you, O Lord. So here, David goes from one breath, awake, Lord, make sure you get them. But then he says, oh yeah, you, Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. And the picture there is God is not moved by the worst of man in the sense that God fears or that it stops his plan. He can laugh at them. The picture is one who'd go, ha, I can deal with that. And that's what God does. He shall hold all nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. There it is again. And that, by the way, um, is sort of David's doctrinal statement. He comes out with, in the middle of that, his statement of faith. I will wait for you. O oh, you, his strength, for God is my defense. And he, that twice that uh, phrase is repeated in this psalm. And it's sort of his rallying call. He goes right back to that. Great verse to memorize, by the way. Great verse to claim for your own in that. And then lastly... And I'm not going to comment on this section other than to, to read it. But God the judge. And this reminds us that in the end, God will always have his righteous judgment, right? He says, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. This is that imprecatory part, right? Let the whole earth know that you're God. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O oh my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Let's pray.
Lord, again, we are just reminded, as David faced that night where he was on the run, his enemy was all around, they were howling for him. And Lord, yet we echo, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And thank you that we're not consumed, O God. You are the righteous judge. You are the great deliverer. And we are thankful that, God, we seek you in all, in, in, in a place, as a place of refuge, eternal refuge. And so as we go forth this week, help us to be mindful of these things and be prepared. We ask, too, deliver us from evil, that we might do good in this world and seek justice and righteousness. And we commit our ways to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.